All right, well, this morning I want to start out uh, by, by kind of telling you about an imaginary scenario that I've played out inside my own mind. I got to warn you, my mind is a dangerous place, and so I'm letting you into it. Um, so this, this scenario, it involves aliens um, landing down outside a wedding reception hall, okay? And then um, these aliens, they come in peace, but they're watching this wedding reception, and they're seeing this room filled with people dancing, right? And then they turn to you and they ask you this question, what is dancing? Like, what would your answer be? It's, it's kind of a, a challenge to explain dancing, isn't it? Especially if you dance anything like me or my really sad attempts at such without, without a semblance of rhythm or coordination. Um, but some things are challenging um, to explain. I've actually used that as, I've got to be honest, I've tried to use that as an excuse to not dance with Diane. Um, her theme song of her life is all I want to do is dance. So, you know, so it doesn't go well. So I've got to, I still got to work on that area. Um, some things, though, are challenging to explain. And, and I wonder how many people ask that same question when it comes to church. What? What is that about, right? Um, we're kicking off a new series this morning. We're going to look through the first part of the book of Acts. The series is called Testify, and Acts kind of answers that question. It takes us back to the very beginning of this thing called church so we can see how it started, what it's about. And, um, and so just for a little bit of a uh, backdrop on it, Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament. It comes right after the gospel. So there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. And it's actually, it's actually part two of the gospel of Luke, if you can think about it that way. And so Luke wrote both the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And, and Luke was a doctor, and, and he used his examination skills to do a very thorough investigation into the life of Jesus Christ. And we see that in his gospel. It gives us a very detailed account of, of how Jesus was born and, and what he did and where he went and how he died and rose from the grave again and, and what that is all about and why it all matters. And then, and then Acts kind of picks up from there. Acts is kind of like a part two. Um, so, so Luke, the gospel of Luke ends right after Easter and then Acts tells the story from Easter on, and, and it's the story of how the message of Jesus went from this, this handful of frightened guys and made his way into this worldwide movement. And, and it lays out blueprints for what God's original design for church is, what it looks like, and, and that's helpful because now we can do is we compare how close we are to what it was originally about. And, and that's helpful because we can, we can celebrate where we're aligned, and then we can also course correct in those areas and those places where we're out of alignment as well. And so we're going to jump into that this morning. We're going to unpack what we find here. And it starts with sort of like, I don't know if you like watch seasons of a sitcom, and when you get to season two, 
or see whatever the new season is, it sometimes starts with, so here's what happened in the previous season, right? Like a summary of here's where we're been and here's where we're at. And um, that's, kind of, that's kind of how Acts starts out. And so in this passage, it, it, it gives us um, some of the basic building blocks of church, of what this thing is all about. And, and so just to, just to let you in on it from the very start, in case I happen to lose you along the way, here's what it's about. It's about ordinary people who have encountered the living Lord Jesus Christ, empowered by his Holy Spirit, who are on witness to bear witness to the world. Who are, I said on witness, on mission to bear witness to the world. And, and it starts out with these, um, these, these guys who were chosen by Christ. So let's, let's begin and, and just read how it goes. This is the introduction. In the first book, O Theophilus, that's just the guy he was written, writing to, um, and he's referring back to the Gospel of Luke. He says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Uh, the apostles whom he had chosen. So it starts out by talking about this, this core group of guys. And Luke says, Jesus chose them. They are chosen. Very unlikely choice, but nevertheless, they were chosen. And what's interesting, he pins this badge on these guys and says, they're apostles. Apostles. It's, it's interesting that, that Luke uses that word in particular because the other gospel writers typically will refer to them as disciples. But, but Luke continually refers to them as apostles. And he's getting at something, and we can see that from the first page of this book, because an apostle is someone who is sent out by somebody else. It's someone who is under someone else's authority, and, and, and they're accomplishing that person's purposes, speaking that person's message. And so as students of scripture, we kind of look at that, right? Some of you guys who were in that class on studying God's book, that's, that's a study um, kind of technique of looking, observing, and what do you see? Apostles. Um, There's an idea that these guys are going places. These guys are not there for themselves. They are entrusted with something, and they're going to be sent out. They're on mission, and it gives us just a little bit of insight into what church is about. Okay, so, so these apostles were, were personally chosen, handpicked by Jesus. And, and again, that word apostle, it sounds so distinguished, right? It sounds like so accomplished. You know, like someone who should be sitting on some kind of throne or something like that. But the reality is, at this stage at least, this group of apostles were this ragtag group of guys who were anything but accomplished. Even up to this point, if you had to label their story or title their story, it would sound something like Adventures in Missing the Point. Okay, that is, that is really just describes and sums up the, the disciples. These guys, they were just thick in the head. They just missed it time and time again. A couple of examples is like, you know, Jesus is getting arrested and Peter takes out his sword and he slices off the soldier's ear. You could just, you just picture Jesus nodding his head and like, come on, man. Haven't you learned anything? Um, and, and James and John, they're, they're walking with Jesus and some people don't respond the way that they want. And they say, hey, Jesus, 
Should we call down fire from heaven to consume them? No, guys. Thank you. We're not going to do that today, right? That's, that's, that's kind of Jesus and, and the apostles. To say that they were rough around the edges would be an understatement. But on the flip side of this, right, um, Jesus called them and, and he met them where they were and he worked in their lives and he worked through their lives. And, and on the other side of it, these guys, they ended up changing the course of world history in a way that's really, it's difficult to overstate. It, it really is even up to today. That's, that's why names, boy names, right, for, for new baby boys, um, names like Luke and, and John and Matthew and Mark and Peter, they're like perennially popular. That's why so many hospitals are given names like St. Luke's or St. John's and such like that. It's, they're, they're named in honor of, of these guys, these very ordinary, rough around the edges followers of Jesus. And, and realize that that's, that's part of the plan. That's part of the plan. The same way things started way back then is how they continue today, particularly when it comes to church, particularly when it comes to carrying out God's purposes. It's not, it doesn't happen by celebrities and over-the-top personalities. That's not what's needed for the work of God. It's, it gets done through everyday, ordinary people in process who are learning to walk with Jesus. And, and Jesus continues to choose ordinary people to accomplish his extraordinary purposes. I don't know, but that's, that's like good news for us, isn't it? Right? Because it means that we qualify. Right? It means God meets us right where we're at. And he's willing to work with people who are still in process, who haven't arrived. And it means that you are someone that God intends to use. And he doesn't intend to just use you someday, like after, like after you've got your act all together and you've figured it all out, you know, because if you're waiting for that to happen, I, I got news for you. You're going to be sitting on the sidelines for probably the rest of your life, Right? But, but he's chosen you. He's invited you to be a part of this process of building up his kingdom in this world. And so as we start out on this journey through this book, I just want to ask you, have, have you heard that call? And, and have you responded to that call? Uh, Jesus chose these guys. And the second thing we find out is that they were, they were convinced. So let's, let's keep on reading. Um, it says... Uh, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during a 40, 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Okay, so, so Luke makes this very particular point that, that these guys became convinced to the very core of their being about this reality that Jesus was alive. Now, now, they were convinced, it says, because Jesus provided them with convincing proof. And, and that's pretty extraordinary. It's the same, the same Savior that they saw bloodied and beaten and nailed to a cross and stuck in the side with a spear. They watched his life expire. They saw his dead body lay in this tomb, buried for three days. That, 
that same Jesus conquered death, rose back to life everlasting, and, and, and the unbelievable turned into the undeniable. Okay, that's, that's the story of how it started. Jesus nailed, he, he, he held out his nail-scarred hands to Thomas. Stop doubting and believe. He told the disciples, look at me, I'm not a ghost. You, you, you can touch my hands. I'm here in the flesh. And, and it's, it's, in, it's critical to understand that the resurrection is nowhere in Scripture presented as some kind of myth, as some kind of metaphor, as some kind of, you know, fairy tale legend type of thing. It, it's always presented as verifiable historical reality. I, I wish we had more time to dive deeper into that and, and talk about like how, how Paul mentions that there are 500 people who on occasion Jesus had showed himself alive to. And as Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians, he says, you know what? Some of them have, di- have died since then, but a lot of them are still around. So if you need proof, go look them up. They're at this town. You can go talk to them yourself. But there's this there's this conviction that Jesus is alive. And that's as foundational to church today as it was back in that first day when things first began. And, and Jesus, he, he is still in the business of providing convincing proof to that reality. So, so turning the unbelievable into the undeniable for people like you and like me. It doesn't take the faith quotient out of the equation, but, um, but we can get to this place where we can say, yes, there is undeniable reason to understand this and to, and to take that on. Sometimes that happens by, by combing through historical records. Some people um, really find an incredible um, amount of evidence, historical evidence that's there. Uh, other times, and I would say even more often, it's by the undeniable way that we see Jesus at work in the details of our lives. Because here's the reality. If Jesus is alive, then it means that he is someone who can reveal himself to us, someone we can reach out to, someone we can come to know, someone we can experience on a relational and a personal level. And so if you find yourself in that category of, I'm just not quite sure about all this stuff. I'm checking it out, but I'm, I'm skeptical. Um, there's a prayer there that I would invite you to pray for 30 days and, and really mean it from your heart. Jesus, if you are real, would you reveal yourself to me? And watch what happens. It's a powerful thing. But, but here's what you need to understand up front. Once that reality has been something you've been convinced of, once, once that proof has been given, it will alter the trajectory of your life. Okay, the resurrection is the ultimate game changer. That's, that's the story of what happened to these guys, the, the original guys. Encountering the living Lord Jesus is something they, they never got over that for the rest of their lives. They spent the remainder of their time on earth sharing that reality, that message to everyone and anyone who would listen. Jesus is alive. And, and that message, that landed them in jail cells. It was the source of all kinds of suffering. But they just refused to shut up about it. They would not. They could not. And that testimony turned into their reason for living. 
So something about the, the book of Acts that's probably worth saying up front is that the accent of the gospel message, the message of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, the accent in the book of Acts is not so much on the cross, on the death he died, a lot of Paul's books that is, um, but in Acts it's, it's on the victorious life that he was raised back to. And, and the victory of this conquering Christ, that's, that's something we're going to press into. What are the implications of that? What does that mean for my life? What, what it means, uh, just to give you a little bit of a preview, it means that Jesus is going to have his way. He is going to have his way. You can try to stop him, but you will not succeed. Many have tried. They haven't and they won't. The resurrection is God's vindication, and it means that Jesus' name is above every other name, that it's stronger than every other power, and that includes death and the grave and the powers of darkness and all the obstacles that stand in the way of what God wants for this world, what he intends to do. Nothing and no one is going to put the lid on Jesus. And, and there's this direct connection, this, this, these, these dots that are there to connect between the, the eternal life that Jesus was raised to, his conquering eternal life, and the kind of life that you and I live out as his followers. Because that's, that's where the source of a life of hope comes from, in his eternal life. And that conviction, once we're convinced about that, that, that builds confidence that builds confidence into our lives. So, so it started out with these guys, and they were number one chosen. They were number two. They were convinced. And then there's something else. They were commanded. So let's look at the command that's given to them. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from, from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. All right, so Jesus commands his apostles, you guys, stay put, go nowhere. He says, don't leave Jerusalem, but instead wait. Wait, wait for the one the Father promised, the one I told you about. He's, he's coming soon, and don't worry. <laughs> you're you're going to know when he's arrived. Now, now, he's talking about here is, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. The, the third member of the Trinity. And, and what's happening here is sort of like a tag team. So, so Jesus physically is on his way out, but as he does that, the Holy Spirit is on his way in. And, and so prior to this point, the Holy Spirit, in the Old Testament, we see he would temporarily fill specific individuals for a period of time to accomplish a particular purpose. And so we look at like the book of Judges and the story of Gideon. And, and the Holy Spirit came on Gideon and he led the Israelites to this incredibly unlikely victory uh, against their oppressors. That it happened because of the Holy Spirit's empowerment, right? And, and, then, and then, but the Holy Spirit didn't stay on him. So, so what's happening in Acts is it's marking the beginning of the age of the Holy Spirit. That, that moment when he would come in a whole new way, not just on some of God's people, but on all of them. Not just in some kind of part-time way, 
but, but permanently indwelling and empowering God's people with all that they need to carry out God's purpose. And, and here's the thing. We live in the age of this Holy Spirit. We're in that time now. And the Holy Spirit is the one who birthed the church. He worked through God's people, uh, but make no mistake, it was His work. And, and so we don't want to look at the book of Acts and, and, and focus on the people so much, right? That Come to the conclusion that church is something that man made. That, that would be a mistake. It's, it's the Holy Spirit filling, empowering men and women to do what they would never be able to do on their own apart from Him. He, he does the heavy lifting, and His fingerprints are all over the book of Acts, everywhere. And here's the thing, today, that same Holy Spirit is continuing to do the heavy lifting. He sustains, He builds up His people, His church, and His mission. And so what I want to say is that the Holy Spirit is essential to every church in every age. And sometimes, you know, he gets viewed as some kind of optional accessory or some kind of assumed reality that never gets spoken about. Um, and so we want to kind of take him from the, you know, the, the sidelines and, and put him in the center um, and remember that it's never about me. It's never about you. It's, it's always about him. And, and we're vessels, right? We're like these these containers that we empty so that He can fill us. And when we're filled, He uses us to accomplish His purposes. It's His empowering presence. That's the difference maker. Now, now a lot of times, um, this is where we kind of wade into some really challenging um, areas because people oftentimes will make the mistake of assuming there's one particular mode, one particular indication, one particular sign or evidence of the Holy Spirit at work. We know the Holy Spirit is at work because of this one thing, but what we're going to find out in this book is that He works in all kinds of ways. The Holy Spirit sometimes will work in very extraordinary ways, other times He'll work in very ordinary ways. And sometimes he will interrupt our plans and do something that was completely not on our agenda, something spontaneous. But other times he works through our plans in very structured, thought-out ways. Here's the thing. The mode isn't what matters. That's not what it's about. You know, some people say, well, the Holy Spirit, it means, you know, we've got to be doing something unplanned. We've got to be doing something that's not us. You know, it's, it's, it's not me, it's the Holy Spirit. But, you know, sometimes, like, no, it's the Holy Spirit working through you. And so, kind of understanding how that is in a more fully structured way um, is a really important thing. But what it comes down to this is that ministry, true ministry, it's the byproduct. It's the overflow of being filled with His presence in learning to follow his lead and keeping in step with what he's doing. So here's one of the take-homes for us. There is a warning label attached to the Christian life that reads this, do not attempt to do this on your own, okay? Um, maybe you've tried and you understand what I'm talking about, right? Because apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, 
living out the Christian life, have you found this out? It's not just difficult, it's, it's impossible. When we try to do God's work in our own power, there's no joy in that. That just, that just leads to just bondage and difficulty and, 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 and just not being fulfilled in it. And it just sounds like the, the joy of the Christian life escapes us. Jesus said this, and Johnny says this thing, like, apart from me, you can do nothing. He gave this amazing analogy about the vine and the branches, and he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And, and, and I, I went to seminary, I learned Greek, and so I figured, let me study that verse and see what does it actually mean, that verse in Greek that says you can do nothing. And you know what I found? It means exactly what it says. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We need the work of the Holy Spirit ongoing in our lives. As we grow spiritually in maturity, we grow in dependence. We grow in reliance. And, and the Christian life is recognizing that it's not about performance. It's about reliance. The work of the Holy Spirit. That's the command. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Um, so we've looked at being chosen, at being convinced, at being commanded. And there's one last aspect, which is uh, commissions. And, and so here's, here's what it says. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So just as an aside, that's sort of another uh, example of these guys missing the point. You know, they're looking, at, they're looking at God's kingdom through the lens of some kind of nationalistic thing. You know, build back up Israel to, to the glory days. And, and, and Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but instead you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when they had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. All right, so, so there's these famous final words that Jesus spoke just as he was being taken back up to heaven. And, and this, this, uh, these words, we, we know them. Um, they've come to be known as what's called the Great Commission, um, this is the assignment that the apostles had been recruited by Jesus to accomplish. And there's two parts to this great commission. There's a what part to it, and there's a where part to it. And so Jesus is telling them through the Holy Spirit, be my witnesses, give testimony about me. That's, that's the what part. And, and it gets to this idea of being a testimony, of giving testimony. Tell others about who Jesus is, about what he's done, and about why it matters. Now, this is in the first century for the original disciples. That involved almost like a judicial way, like in an official capacity, giving firsthand eyewitness testimony about Jesus. So, so this is not them kind of like um, 
doing that REO Speedwagon song of, yeah, I heard it from a friend who heard it from a friend who heard it from another, that this is what Jesus was doing. No, this, is, this, was, this was way, way more than that. Their mission was to establish a credible mis- testimony, a credible testimony that would endure throughout the duration of world history. And so this is based on what their own eyes had seen. This is based on what their own ears had heard, what their own hands had touched, that, that, that God had broken through this world in an exclusive way, in a unique way, in a definitive way through his son, Jesus Christ. And they accomplished that because here we are 2,000 years later and their testimony was written down and it's been handed down to us in the form of, of this book, of the New Testament. And, and, and this is the testimony that God's people has been entrusted with. It's the source of what we testify to, not just our experience, but this historical reality, credible historical witness that it's all about Jesus. Everything we do is meant to find its way back to serving that purpose of knowing him and of making him known. There's, there's a second part about this um, great commission. It's the, it's, the, it's the where part. So he tells them, testify about me right here in the hometown, right here in Jerusalem where you are now, and then from there to all of Judea, and then also Samaria, and from there take that testimony to the farthest parts of the earth. That's a, that's a pretty expansive assignment. And if you're studying the book of Acts, it's really fascinating because that kind of, that's the division. The whole book opens up and divides along those lines. First, you see the gospel message in Jerusalem. Then it goes to Judea. Then it goes to Samaria. And from there, it goes to Rome and everywhere else. Um, But the mission of the church, the mission entrusted to God's people is to bear witness to Jesus here, there, everywhere, to the ends of the earth. But it starts out in the hometown. It starts out where we are living out our lives in. Our Jerusalem, for us that would be our local area right here, whether that's Carmel or wherever your hometown is. God has a plan for you. There is a mission field, not only around the world, there is a mission field around the block. And God calls us to dig into that, right? Then there's our Judea. Maybe for us, that would be sort of the metropolitan area or the greater Hudson Valley region, or if you're in Connecticut, the Fairfield County area, right? Um, What's going on around us in the surrounding areas? And then there's some Samarias, uh, Samaria is those, you know, if you remember Jesus going to Samaria, that was the place where, where good Jews would go out of their way to avoid because they didn't like those kind of people. They weren't the right kind of people. And, and Jesus went there. And the church is called to go to those places, those places that we, we tend to avoid. Maybe that's like the inner city. Maybe that's people who are of a different social status or a different ethnicity from what you're used to or what we're used to. The people we probably wouldn't associate with. Go out of your way and go there. And then finally, go to the world. Go to the world. 
be compelled to do whatever it takes to make Jesus known to the ends of the earth. And we do that through the lives that we live, through the things that we do, through the words that we speak. And, and, and these are the areas of concern that apply to our lives, to the lives of each Christ follower, right? We, we care about this kind of thing. Um, this, this, is, this is our assignment. This is what the church is about. And so if the alien comes down and says, man, what is going on? All this, this church, this, this building with the steeple and these people singing songs and, and listening and meeting together and praying together, what, what's going on here? We're a movement on mission. We are here for a purpose. We're not here just to satisfy ourselves. We're not here just for the sake of ourselves. We are we're here to make him known. We've been entrusted with this incredible worldwide mission of knowing Jesus and making him known. And we do that in all kinds of ways. But that commission, somehow, some way, it, it, it applies to you. It's something that we all take part in. And, and so I want to ask you the question is, have, have you made life in your room for the mission of God? I'm sure you have, but maybe this is a good time to kind of reassess what that looks like. What kind of space have I made in my life for the mission of God? Is it something that's in the center? Is it focused? Is it something that I kind of say, no, that's for the professionals. That's what, you know, that's what the pastor's meant to do. That's what the missionaries are meant to do. We're, we're all in this together, and truth be told, there are no professionals. There are no professionals. So that's, that's what it's all about. This is what it's all about. God calling ordinary people who encountered the living Lord Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit to bear witness to the world. Are you in? Is there anything greater that we can give our lives to? Right? Maybe that's the better question. Um, it's an amazing opportunity to tell others, to testify about this, this Savior who loves us, the Savior who died for us, the Savior who is risen back to life eternal, everything that that means, and the opportunity that comes with responding to Him. You know, this opportunity is not going to go on forever. This is one of those things that we get the, the privilege of being a part of for this period of time. And so the question is, what does the next step look like for me? What is the next step of, of living out this commission, this assignment, this mission? Um, what does that look like for me? We're, we're, we're not just in it by ourselves. We're, we're placed in community. God has put us together, and He works through the body in all kinds of ways, through a church family, through relationships, through connections, and it's a beautiful thing. Let's, let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much 